0: Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Danny Brassell, Dr. Danny, Jim Carrey with a PhD. He's also known as Dr. Danny is America's leading reading ambassador. And this is such a fun, entertaining episode where I learned so much about reading and how important reading is for really stepping into our own leadership, leading ourselves, and motivating ourselves to create change. Danny is a highly sought-after speaker, trainer, and coach, again, known as Jim Carrey, the PhD, which I love. He has spoken to over 3,500 audiences worldwide and authored 16 books, including his latest, Leadership Begins with Motivation. He is the co-founder of The Reading Habit, the world's top reading engagement program. And in this episode, we discuss all kinds of stats and details regarding reading and leaders and how we can bring reading into a habit from youth all the way up to adults. We are never done learning. This is such a fun, entertaining episode as he shares so many stories and excerpts of his books, as well as experience and what he learned when he started to speak in the inner city schools and recognizing how few kids had access to reading tools. So I absolutely love this episode. There's so much jam-packed into it. I know you're going to love it. Welcome to the show today, Danny. I can't wait to have this conversation with you.
1: Oh, Marcia, thanks for all you do. Thanks, most importantly, for spreading some joy in the world. We need a lot more of you.
0: Oh, okay. Received. Look at like This is a great way to start. This is awesome. So there are so many parts of your story that I want to dive into, but I have to start with um, the name of Jim Carrey with a PhD. Where does that come from?
1: Well, you're Canadian, so it's a it's a huge compliment that I'm being compared to Jim Carrey. I uh, life's too short. I, I, I take my job seriously, but I don't take myself seriously because I ain't all that and neither are you. And I always tell people, if you think you're all that, teach kindergarten for a week. Those little ones will set you straight. I, I once was, when I was teaching kindergarten, I had one of my little girls, LaShonda, raises her hand. I'm like, LaShonda, uh, you have a question? And she's like, uh, Miss Purcell, when are you going to uh, trim your nose hair? I'm like, am uh, this afternoon. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, LaShonda. I ain't all that. And so uh, I think uh, I used to tell the little ones, I'm like, you know, the average adult laughs 15 times a day. The average kindergartner laughs 300 times a day. So your job is to make me laugh 315 times every single day. The kids get all stressed out trying to get me to laugh. But I, I there needs to be a lot more laughter in the world. I was watching this horrible show on TV the other night called uh, The News. <laughs> and it just overpressed me. And I'm like, you know, we need to, we need to chill out. And and that's why I listen to your podcast. That's why I read books that are uplifting. And uh I, I think people have to calm down and be a little bit kinder to one another. Cause the more I I talk to people from all over the world, people aren't all that different and um you know, we need to be just a lot kinder and realize we're all in this together.
0: <laughs> mm, okay. So I love this piece because I've always said like we are so much more alike than different. We we really, really are. Um, I think that's huge. You talked about reading and obviously a big part of your story is about reading and books and speaking, but you hated reading growing up. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, my father was a librarian, Marcia, and I always hated uh, the library growing up. The library always had, uh, it smelled funny to me. The furniture was uncomfortable. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. And there's always some creaky homeless guy hanging out by the bookshelves who thought he was a vampire. I always, uh, I always hated the library, but it wasn't until I started, I taught uh, many years in uh, South Central Los Angeles in the inner city. And I realized a lot of my students didn't have the advantages I had growing up. I mean, I was very blessed, Marcia. I mean, we weren't we weren't rich, but we weren't so poor we couldn't eat. We had food on the table. Yeah. Both of my parents were in the home. My parents read to us kids. They read in front of us, and we had plenty of access to reading materials. And I said, you know, shame on me. I need to make sure kids all have some uh, fa- a fair shot. And I think the best way to improve yourself is to read. I mean, I have friends that love to brag. They they went to prestigious Ivy League schools and they haven't opened up a book since then. I'm like, well, you're an idiot, because I, co- I know high school dropouts that uh, they read voraciously every single day and they're the most interesting and informed people on the planet. So I'm a big believer in getting people to read and not just to read. I, I always tell the kids, uh, you are what you read. So read good stuff. They say garbage in garbage out. And I'm like, that's wrong. Garbage in garbage stays. You need to fill your mind with things that lift you up.
0: Oh, garbage in garbage stays back to the news again. Sorry, had to go there. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, right? Like this is this is this is fascinating. So you saw this need with inner city schools and kids. So how did you start to bridge that? to support and provide resources and make a difference?
1: Well, it's interesting. I mean, it was either Socrates or Keanu Reeves who once said, uh, you need license to drive, a license to fish, but any idiot can become a parent. Well, now that I'm a parent that's been proven true. but in defense of parents, I mean they know, they don't give you a manual at the hospital. and I realized one of the basic things I could do for parents was to provide them with some some tips on how to get their kids excited about reading. I mean uh, you know uh, probably here's a great tip for everybody in your audience. so I, I deal often with parents and they're they're in lower economic communities uh, and they'll say, oh, I have nothing to read at home. I'm like, oh. Oh, you do. You know, uh, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but over 30 years ago in the United States, President Bush signed a law that said every television set sold in America has to have closed captioning. And so the first tip I always give parents is uh, turn on the closed captioning and parents will say, well, wait a second, if the show is in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I'm like, well, that's a fair point. Let me make a point. Have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? It's very difficult to do. Your brain is actually directed towards the text, and there's actually research to support this. Uh, If you look at reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, the lower their reading scores are in every single country on the planet except for one. It's Finland. Finland has the top reading scores in the world, and their kids watch the most TV in the world. And so people will ask, well, how can that be, Danny? I'm like, well, Finland makes really bad TV shows. And so what they have to do is they have to import all these old American sitcoms like Happy Days and Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch, and they're all subtitled and finished. The kids are reading constantly. So the quick tip I always get parents is, you know, turn on the closed captioning. Um, When I created my – actually, the pandemic is why I I created uh, my online reading engagement program. And the reason I did that, Marcia, is – I think schools do an all right job teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to choose to do it on their own. And so I provide simple tips that parents can use to to develop a reading habit in in their children. I mean, like brushing their teeth, Uh, and going to bed at a a reasonable hour. There's some basic things that we can do. And I just picked this up really from uh, trial and error with uh, students of all ages, trying to figure out how to get those kids excited about reading. Mm. Long answer to a short question, Marcia. No,
0: I love this answer. I love this answer. Like It's fascinating to me, as you say, that with the more they watch TV, right, the decrease the reading scores. And it must be interesting stats-wise when you look at, like, my kids are 25 and 24. We didn't have iPads and things growing up. So we didn't have, like, it's – and I have friends saying, like, what do you do when you're on a long car ride if you didn't have iPads? I'm like, we found things to do because we didn't have – even then we didn't, right? And it's interesting because I look at it sometimes and go, are they – We look for ways to keep them quiet and sitting and obeying and yet, but we're not teaching them like how to interact, how to be part of a conversation, how to, it's just interesting. I think, I wonder what's going to happen with this generation now who is literally raised on iPads as babies.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, Marsha. I was just looking at some some statistics yesterday. So, uh, in America right now, one in every forty-four children is autistic. In in Korea, it's one in every twelve, and they don't understand why. But I would I would I would argue that the, uh, a distinct possibility is social media and iPads and being on your phone all the time. Uh, there might be something to that. I mean, we don't know. That's just I I have no evidence of that whatsoever. I want everybody to know that. I have no evidence, but I I do think that there's – and if you look at the way people talk to one another, people being rude to one another, I'm like, well, it's really easy to type nasty things – on social media never be accountable. I mean, it's oh. kind of like when a person cuts you off on the road. Would you do that same thing if you were walking down the street? Would you just all of a sudden walk in front of somebody and cut them off? You wouldn't because there's a more personalization there. So I think I think you're making a good point there, Marsha. I think there is something to that. And uh you know, I was pointing that out to my kids the other day. Kids are spoiled. I'm I'm really starting to sound like an old guy at this point. You yeah. chop off my head, you count the rings. I mean my my kids They have the ability with their stupid little cell phone to download any movie they want at any time. I'm like, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait till the second Saturday in April because CBS would have Willy wonka on. And I couldn't I had to I couldn't go to the bathroom because if I if I missed anything, they didn't you can't pause the TV. (laughs) It it was great. I I really do. So I mean, I'm like, when I was a kid, I was the remote control. My parents would say, go stand up and go turn the channel. I mean, like uh, kids are. And I, I I swear my kids are gonna be griping someday. They're like, man, you know. You kids got it easy. All you have to do is tap your ear and all of a sudden a movie appears in front of your face. It's going to be something like that. It's
0: weird. <laughs> oh my God, I'm just dying laughing because my husband and I joke about it all the time, right? It's like when you have to go to the washroom, it's like, I could say now pause it, but it, you, we joke that you used to have to sprint. Yeah, so you didn't yeah. You miss anything, right? Yeah. not miss anything. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I have a couple questions for you that hey. I want to ask. Um, is there any stats on or information on... Boys reading versus girls.
1: Yeah, so that's a great question, Marsha. So uh, uh, I always tell people, uh, uh, here's a little tip. Four out of five... Four out of five of your struggling and reluctant readers are going to be boys boys and girls are very different little girls will read books about little boys little boys don't like reading books about little girls i mean there's obviously exceptions but uh you know one of my theories on that again this is not proven is that and i don't know the stats in canada but i think they're fairly similar to american statistics uh 96 percent of kindergarten through second grade teachers in america are female and you know i taught I've taught all age levels and my passion was with the little ones, Uh, you know, and everybody just assumes if you're a guy teaching the little ones, you're either a homosexual or you're a pedophile. I'm neither of those things, but uh, I did love the energy of the little ones. And what I see is uh, I always tell this to parents is you should always read your favorite books to your kids because you read them differently. Um, And I see the same thing in classrooms when I'm observing teachers you'll, there's, here's a better illustration. There's a great book uh, series, uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid by Jeff Kinney. I love these books and I can't remember which one it is, but there's one book where uh, the mother decides to create a mother-son book club, Greg Heffley's mother. And so she invites all the boys from the neighborhood to come to her book club and all of them should bring a book. And so the mom, she's brought uh, Sarah Plain and Tall, Anne of Green Gables, Little Women, Little House on the Prairie, And the boys have brought like how to cheat at video games, the book of bodily functions, dinosaur terror, the big truck book. And I'm like, you see, that's the difference is is, here's an example. I was working with a third grade teacher and she told me Mario won't read anything. I'm like, well, I'll get Mario to read in an hour. And I was wrong. It only took me 20 minutes. And the book I handed Mario, he liked it so much, he memorized the first chapter by the next week. The book I handed Mario is called Just Disgusting by Andy Griffiths, not the Sheriff of Mayberry. This is an Australian author. Uh, He wrote The Day My Butt Went Psycho. Uh, And uh, the first chapter in Just Disgusting is the 101 Most Disgusting Things. And Mario memorized them. I can't remember all of them, but I can remember a few of them. So it's like, number 12, dog poop. Number 13 stepping dog poop number 14 trying to wipe the dog poop off your shoe and getting it on your fingers number 15 eating a hot dog that tastes like dog poop number 16 realizing the hot dog tastes like dog poop because you forgot to wash your hands i mean That's how you get a little boy excited about reading. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Little Women is a wonderful book, but if you want a little boy to read that book, you better put diarrhea in the title. That's how you get a boy reading. And so that's the big distinction I always tell people is, uh, and, and the research proves this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more, read better. And here's a tip I'm going to give all the parents out there. The little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to become a better reader than the little boy who won't read anything. I mean, Captain Underpants is our gateway drug to Shakespeare, but we got to get the kid hooked first. And so you're absolutely right in, in observing that it's tougher to get a boy to read than a girl. And and really, this is all I always tell parents is good parents and good teachers, they're eavesdropping. I mean – if your kid tells you they're into NASCAR, you got to give them some NASCAR books. If they're into Jennifer Lopez, get a biography on J-Lo. I mean, um, um, you know, when, whenever I go up to to uh, Canada to speak, it's always uh, every boy wants to know everything about hockey. So I, I got little boys, and the, their teachers will tell me they're not good at math. I'm like, really? Because he just told me every single statistic about Connor McDavid on the Edmonton Oilers. Don't tell me he doesn't like math we need to figure out a better way to approach how we're teaching math because this boy loves math if you put it in a hockey context and i i really that's i and I, and this was trial and error when i was a teacher I don't don't think i knew all these answers i was screwing up like crazy and it was just observing i'm like wait i mean i had a boy when i taught second grade kiara and kiara's first grade teacher told me kiara don't don't know nothing i'm like Thank you for that. Well, Kiara, who don't know nothing, comes in my classroom one day. He's like, hey, Mr. Bissell, you see Barkley last night? He had 16 points and 18 rebounds. I'm like, thank you, Kiara. Because from that day forward, every day after lunch, I'd sit Kiara on my lap and we'd read the LA Times sports page. And wouldn't you know it, Marcia? by the end of the year, Kiara was one of my best readers. And I swear to God, all that kid would ever read about was sports, which is fine. Yep. He'll eventually make that leap. I mean, all these people, I, I point this out, you know, all the people are saying, oh, you need to read real literature, you know, Jane Austen and William Shakespeare. I well, mean, that's fine and good, but show me any career where your boss is like, hey, I need you to read this novel by tomorrow. No. There's different types of reading. And so we have to understand that. And so, again, long answer to a short question. Yes, boys and girls are very different.
0: No, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, that was a selfish question for me to ask that because I am a mom of their grown men now. But boy, did we fight in the school system when they were younger? Like I can't even we had so much challenges. But my kids, they would, I mean, the Magic School Bus, the um, Treehouse. I can't, was the Magic yeah,
1: Treehouse? Yeah, Magic Treehouse.
0: That, that whole series. Those are
1: great because those are series books. You were smart on that because I'm like, oh, you like this one? Well, here's 80 others to choose from. Exactly. Yeah, and I they're, love they're, them. They're, yeah.
0: Yeah, like I love them too. And it was interesting because everything from school they didn't like. But there was also this way, and I don't know if it's still the same now, but I mean, I think, what, grade three Ish, they were expected to stand up in front of the class and read out loud, and when they didn't, they were shamed. And I remember, even like this is long before I really understood anything about shame or understood the like what it can do to you. And I'm like, so because he can't read the way that you want of the book that you want, the best way to teach him is to stand him in front of the class and shame him. Like what? What? and it, it like it made a, a, an indelible mark i'm not going to lie it made a huge mark and it, it's and i'm just thinking of both cuz my kids are very different from each other but my my one is is um on the spectrum he's brilliant he's brilliant and reading like reading books no reading like investment books and and just like things that i couldn't even understand he's, he's fantastic at. So I I just love what you're talking about in a sense. I just want to give that and share that example, because I think we have to be really careful when you start putting them in boxes at, you know, grade two and grade three, like you can indelibly like make them feel like that box is all they can do. And I think there's so much more to it than that. Well,
1: and the best part of that story, Marsha, and I hope everybody picked up on that, is that you were a parent advocate for your child. I want every parent to understand that. You have rights. Mm -hmm. And that that is shameful. That that disgusts me. I mean, I'm going to share a personal story. I don't Mm -hmm. usually tell people this, but uh, I was speaking in India uh, before the pandemic. And I get the kids all pumped up in this school. And I had this little boy come up to me, he was six years old, and he's missing his left arm. He has tears in his eyes. And he's like, Dr. Broussel, how can somebody like me succeed? And so I I, I got down to his level and I said, you know, it's interesting you say that because when I was your age, I actually went to 18 schools before sixth grade. They All the kids used to make fun of me and even teachers, they'd call me names, n- n- name, n- names, names. Because I, I stuttered. And finally, I got a teacher who took me aside and she worked one on one with me. And she found she could sing things to me and I could sing them back without my stutter. It was kind of like the movie um, The King's Speech. And eventually, uh, I lost my stutter and I became a swan. But I looked at the little boy. I'm like, um, isn't it interesting that the little boy who everybody said was stupid and didn't talk right now gets paid ridiculous sums of money to travel the world to do what? to speak. And he just got the biggest grin on his face. And I said, don't don't let anybody ever tell you what you cannot do. They're just jealous because you might be the chosen one, you know? And I believe that. And every kid, every kid I'm looking at, I'm like, you might be the person that cures cancer. You know, that's the reason I became a teacher. I get really excited. And now I don't, I don't teach kids. Now I'm working a lot more with corporate guys and stuff. I'm like, and I, I always, yeah, I was just, I was just training this bunch of, uh, uh, Corporate people, anywhere from veterinarians to financial planners to uh, entrepreneurs. And I said, you know, there's basically three motivations for all human beings. Everybody wants to increase their income. They want to increase their freedom and they want to increase their impact. And it depends on the stage in your life. Um, I was working with a billionaire and I asked him, what's your what's your motivation? He said the next hundred million. And I wanted to go take a shower, Marsha. I'm like, really, that's all you're about is income, you know? There comes a point in your life, I always love the story of Andrew Carnegie, after he passed away in his desk, they found a card with his goals and he had two goals in life. The first goal was I'm going to spend the first half of my life accumulating the world's largest fortune. And his second goal was I'm going to spend the second half of my life giving it all away. Yep. It's a person that's having a, an impact. And, uh, and again, you don't have to have an impact that way. I mean, uh, you and I were talking about earlier, I think one of the best impacts you can have is when you see a person that's grumpy, figure out a way to get them to, to snicker and to smile. Um, I'm in a lot of airports, so I have lots of opportunities to deal with uh, distraught people. And uh, I'm just trying to get people to to laugh and smile and and realize you're only on this uh, rock for a little while. I hope you make it a little bit better than when you got on it.
0: (laughs) God, I love all of that. I love all of that. So now as you work with like companies and you're taking like those skills, what does it look like now? What does the work that you get to do look like now compared to when you were working with you know young kids
1: it's great I mean uh, I always tell people uh, you know uh, working with adults is just like working with kindergartners they all they all need to take a nap every now and then they all need to uh, uh, learn how to get along you know uh, how to how to play right how to clean up their own mess um, and it's great because what I'll do is um, now I, I work uh, a lot with uh, business owners and entrepreneurs because I believe that uh, speaking is the best way to grow your business. And so I do two-day two day seminars, uh, sometimes in person, usually now online. I'll have small groups of eight to 10 people. And over two days, we'll we'll craft uh, what we call their signature talk and, and help them become uh, better speakers. And actually, really, once you understand the formula, the formula will help you whether you're talking to a thousand people or to one person, uh, whether you're trying to Sell your idea, or convince your kids to go to bed. The format actually works for everything. I prove it to them. Uh, I go back to India. I say, uh, when I was in India, I went to a school, and I thought I was just visiting the school. And the uh, the principal, he opens up this door, and there's five thousand kids and twenty TV stations. And he's like, and now for the next hour, Dr. Purcell is going to teach us the three secrets to reading better. Oh my gosh, Marsha. Nobody told me I was speaking. I have no such speech. And fortunately, it's India, so they speak a little bit slower. So I get to look at everybody. I'm like, today, I am going to teach you the three secrets to reading better. Who wants to know the three secrets to reading better? And The kids are going wild. And Marsha, in my head, I'm like, what the heck are the three secrets to reading better? And what I was doing was in my head, I'm I'm formatting my speech. I'm like, okay, here are going to be my talking points. Here's where I'm going to get the kids interacting. Here are some skill things. Here's how I'm going to end the presentation. I was using the exact same format. And wouldn't you know it, a speech that came into my head over a period of basically like 45 seconds, I now have a company that's my reading engagement company is based on that speech was what You know, so, and that's not me, that's God. God's like, okay, dude, this is what we're gonna do. And I was like, that's pretty amazing, but that's what I always tell people. And I was just working with a guy. This was me and Marcia, I'm doing something wrong. I taught this guy a couple of weeks ago, Gustavo, Gustavo from Ecuador, and he's into real estate. And his offer that he likes to offer people is he sells his real estate coaching for $40,000 for a 16 week program. Like, wow, that's a big offer. And one of the things I teach you everybody is I'm like, hey, there's two ways to become a better speaker. You got to watch lots of good speakers and then you got to go out and do the work. I mean, I want you doing Facebook Live, I want you doing podcasts, I want you speak into the Rotary Club, you know, you need to get comfortable doing this. Well, Gustavo, who I love because he actually did it, he went on a podcast that night. And uh, he calls he me the next day. He's like, oh, I went on a podcast and I, I tried out my new speech. I'm like, well, that's awesome, Gustavo. That's great. He's like, yeah, I sold 23. Are you kidding me? 23 $40,000 coaching packages. He made $920,000. And I'm like, I need to start getting a cut from these people. That was unbelievable. And i was so proud of them. There's nothing better. There's nothing more gratifying as a teacher when people do your things. I've had lots of great coaches in my life. And one of my coaches, he was actually a great coach, but a horrible human being. Because once I started, I actually became a little bit more successful than him. And he was like suing me. and, And I'm like, my gosh, like, that's so weird. It's so I'm so different. I want all of my people to succeed better than me. I'm like, that's what that's where the gratification comes in. And I, but again, you know, it's, it's a question I've been having my kids ask all the time. I'm like, I have a, a little post on my desk and it, it, it asks the question, what if I'm wrong? <laughs> it's the question I always ask. I'm like, before I get too into an opinion, what if I'm wrong? Maybe I need to consider the other side. I, I honestly, it's really one of the things I'm trying to teach people is, hey, you don't have to agree with a person, but you can be respectful to that person. That's why I listen to different people. I was on actually a podcast about a month ago, and it was <laughs> they put me in the green room, and I'm listening to the podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, this podcast isn't at all what I was thinking. It's all these people just ripping each other. It was very political and b- ripping each other apart. And so I got on, and I said, okay, we're going to make a rule. Because here's the rule is that we can agree to disagree, but we're going to be respectful. (laughs) Marsha, it's probably the most gratifying podcast I've ever been on because all these callers, they stopped calling in being vicious and they were very respectful. And and we would we would discuss things and often we disagree. But I was like, see, the discourse can be simple. We you know, you don't have to be a jerk like everybody has different opinions. I get that. I mean, my wife and I disagree all the time. You know, my, w- my wife, uh, you know, she thinks the Harry Potter books should be banned from schools. You know, they're the devil's work. And I say, well, honey, if your faith is so shallow that a children's book can change your faith, maybe you need to examine your faith, maybe. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but again, if a parent, talk- so that gets me into a point where a lot of parents, they might have a problem with a book in my classroom. Here's my policy. I get rid of it. There's over four million books written in English every single year. I can find something that kids gonna like. If I believe parents have rights too, people have different beliefs. I'm gonna respect that. You know, I'll I'll live to fight another day. There's other things I can argue about, but I'm like, no, I get it. Parents, you know, everybody has their own little philosophies, or whatever. And I'm not here to to ever make a person uncomfortable. I'm still. I'm getting angry or thinking about your son happening to speak in third grade in front of that class. I mean, because I see this all the time. You still see it in schools, popcorn reading, where pop, and now all of a sudden this kid has to read. And why would you ever put a kid in that situation? I, I, I only put a kid in a situation where I know they're going to succeed. Because I'm there, you you can either be the light or the darkness every day. You can create a positive memory or a negative memory. I mean, why would you teach if you're going to create negative memories? I'm sorry. You got me going off on a rampage, Marcia. No,
0: <laughs> I, I, I was funny. That's, that topic always gets me on a rampage too. And I mean, I had to fight and advocate for my kids. Both of them had very different learning styles. And yeah. I mean, the school is really made for... Um, visual learners. And I hate to say it, but it's made primarily more for girls who tend to sit longer and are less, you know, I mean, it's that's another whole worm, but you could go down. But I know like, I don't know how many times it'd be interesting because I go to school and they're like, oh, your kids were, your boys were too rambunctious today. So we took recess away. And I'm like, how did that work out? For you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they, sat-
1: they have energy to get out. So let's keep them in the classroom and keep that energy building. I mean, that's that's an oil an oil rig about to explode. That's and just I,
0: I, I mean, really, like I I just want to. I mean, I know you know this, but I it's also a piece that I want to continue to solidify. Is my kids are only twenty four and twenty five. We're not talking like I'm not talking like you know five decades ago. I'm talking like you Know less than 15 to 20 years ago, this is literally what school was like, and it was a, a horrible experience for all of us. It honestly was.
1: Well, I was interviewed the other day, Marsh, and somebody said, Well, Danny, what do you think public school or, or charter school? and I said, Yes. And they're mm-hmm. like, What do you mean? I'm like, Well, some kids they they prosper in a public school, some kids they prosper at a charter school, some it's private school, some it's vocational school, some it's a, a ma- some it's home school, some it's magnet school. I'm like, you know. The the reason I always got fired, I have I got fired about twenty eight times as a teacher, and and the reason is because I have a mouth, and that's the problem. Is I always I always come back to this: if the answer to my question is not because that's what's best for this kid, why are we doing it? Yeah, I mean all these. I love it. The standardized test phrase. I'm like, show me the leaders of any country. How did they do on those standardized tests? How is there a relationship? I, I love reading biographies, Marcia, and this Thank is fascinating. You. Read biographies because there's one common theme in almost all these biographies of successful people they dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you look at Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon I mean, I'm like, my gosh, like, what are we doing wrong? How, like, how can we get those kids and figure out a way, you know? I was watching the teacher and the kid didn't want to do the worksheets. And I'm like, okay. And I, I, I think I planted a seed and this teacher said, I said, okay, what, what do you think is better? giving this kid a 20 minute worksheet that they hate Mm -hmm. or, or asking them, Hey, can you build a website? You know, to do this, what's going to happen is instead of doing the worksheet that they hate for 20 minutes in school they're going to build a website, which they take a hundred hours of their own time at home. They're excited. They're covering every single objective you're trying to do. You know, it's tougher to grade. I, I'll give you that tougher to grade, but the kid's excited about it. I mean, I, I go back to, uh, cause I never wanted to be a teacher. I kind of fell into it. It was interesting though. I thought back and I'm like, huh, when I was in high school, I was a football player and the coach made me tutor Um, our best running back was flunking math and the way I would teach him because he he just didn't understand everything. So I put everything in terms of football plays and defenses and stuff. And he, he started doing well and he, he became academically eligible. And I thought, huh, thinking back to them, maybe it's just intuitive for me. I just saw, okay, well, this is what works for this person, but that gets to your sons. And what I also love that you're saying, Marsha is any parent that's listening to this, I, Bill Cosby used to have a line now he's a scumbag but when I used to idolize Bill Cosby and he uh he had this great line he says if you only if you're a parent and you only have one kid you're not a parent because you know who did it and it's exactly right because if you're a parent I have three kids and all three of them are completely different learners I'm like wow same house same nutrition same parents and they're all three you know my oldest daughter you know she's always brilliant you know but she's not very empathetic. Like if I was in a car accident bleeding to death, she'd be trying to show me some A she just got on a paper. Whereas my son, who was the only kid on his soccer team not to score a goal, um, I was watching a game and and the best player for our team kicked a ball and it nailed another kid on the head and the kid was crying. And uh, the best players like, oh, he's crying because he can't score. And my son went to the kid and was helping him up and saying, hey, are you all right? And I'm like, I was very proud. I'm like, you know what? I'll take my kid. He's kind and he's so empathetic. And my youngest daughter, I mean, she's Jim Carrey. I mean, everything out of her mouth just cracked. I mean, I'm laughing all the time. I'm like, wow, that's fat. And she's the entrepreneur. She doesn't care about school at all. She's like, she's always the person selling lollipops to all the kids or creating, oh, I'm, I'm going to sell scrunchies. I buy a pack for $5 and I sell them each for two bucks. And I'm like, man, you know, she's going to be running a corporation. But it's it's so true. Your sons are 24 and 25. They're only a year apart, same home, but completely different learners.
0: <laughs> completely. And I love, I love this share. And I want this to land for people who are listening. Like, even if your kids are struggling in school, you can still like find ways to make learning fun outside of school and so I love when you're talking about this in the reading piece because that's like that was something that we did on a regular basis it's like okay let's go and pick out which books you want like what do you want to read what do you want to I you know and and we would read some funny things but this is what they liked and I remember doing that on a consistent basis so I I think it's really I think it's really um interesting and in having this conversation. And especially like the reading piece going all the way from kids like all the way up to adults like you talk a lot about leadership and reading and how you know leadership begins um how do you say with motivation I love how you said that so I want you to share with everyone because like what is motivation and how does reading you know really inspire that to bring that leader out
1: Well, I I mean, I've done lots of studies on leaders and there's plenty of leaders that might, well, there's plenty of readers that don't necessarily become leaders, but I've never read a biography of a successful leader in any field that was not also an avid reader. I mean, you look in... uh, uh, military history, people like General Patton, General Schwarzkopf. I mean, these guys could read in four or five languages. They read voraciously. I just read a biography on President Eisenhower and he used to just read all the Greeks and was interested in war strategy. You look at business people. Warren Buffett spends his entire day reading. Elon Musk, uh, one of the richest men in the world, he still reads a, at least a book a day. When he was a kid, he was bullied as a teenager. He spent all this time in the library, in the bookstore. He actually read like almost three or four books a day in places like that. You look in sports. I mean, I'll read about athletes. Uh, I, I could have kissed LeBron James, the basketball player, when uh, when his first team, uh, uh, when his Miami Heat were in the NBA finals, uh, uh, they showed him in the locker room reading The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. I could have kissed him. I'm like, you just did more for reading than anything I can ever do. Um, you look at um, uh, government. Uh, so this is a story I always tell people. I'm like, you know, uh, President Kennedy, a lot of people forget this story was President Kennedy was doing a press conference be- back in the early sixties and a, a reporter asked him what he's reading. And he said, Oh, I'm reading this great, uh, spy novel by Ian Fleming about this, uh, this, uh, secret agent called James Bond. And so a Hollywood executive was listening to that press conference. He bought the rights to James Bond. And that's why they started making the James Bond movies. Uh, I know that. So it's fascinating. Yeah. And. I, and you, you you find out what people are interested in. So here's a tip for any parent listening there. I read with all of my kids and my wife. We have different books. And so my oldest daughter, she's now 19 and so she's at college, but when she comes back we're reading um she comes back every weekend cuz she's local. So we're reading uh, Game of Thrones by George R.R. R. Martin. It's not a book I'd recommend for little kids, but and even her, oh yeah, there's some graphic stuff, but uh you know to each his own, she's into that. My son loves military stuff and so the book we're reading gosh i can't remember the 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 title of the book but it's about this british general general adrian de Hartone, whatever the guy was in world war one and world war ii he had like 14 injuries he's missing an eye missing a hand and he he led all these incredible battles it's like the most fascinating book but <laughs> i had never even heard of this guy my my son's all into it uh and then my youngest daughter for some reason she likes literature. It drives me crazy because we just read The Great Gatsby. I hate that book. Uh, She loves it. And I read it to her, at least reading it this time. I'm like, ah, okay. F. Scott Fitzgerald. He's a good writer. I hate the story, but at least I can understand that it's beautiful. So now we're we're reading now Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens, which I don't recommend as a read aloud to anybody because it's the vocabulary. I mean, I now realize the dumbification of society, Marcia. I mean, you look at the vocabulary alone in this book. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I haven't read an adult level book that has this sophisticated vocabulary. I'm looking up half the words. Uh, and then he goes into, you know, cockney slang and stuff. And to read it aloud is very difficult. And then my wife and I, when we're in bed, I'm reading to her. She likes the outlander series by Diana Gabaldon. And then, uh, this great, uh, series of books. I don't know why it's not into a movie series. It's called. uh the unselected journals of Emma M. Lyon by Beth Brower, and they—they're each of these books is like 160 pages, and it's set in like Victorian England, and it's this this woman, and her she she has basically these three best friends. One is an American guy, the other one's like a a, a, a duke, and the other one is a, a preacher, and they're just it's hilarious, and they're beautiful. I'm like, wow, the characters. I don't understand why. Julia Roberts couldn't do it, but some young actress should buy the rights to these books because it's a great, it's a plum role. But that's the tip is, is you should be reading, you know, because that's your special time with, you know, you can have that with your spouse and with each of your children. I mean, another habit I started with the kids when they were little was, um, I believe television is here to stay and the kids can watch TV, but I established the habit very early on that the price of admission is they have to bring me something to read. And so when they were little, they'd bring me a picture book. We'd read the picture book, then they could turn on the TV. Now they're older, and so they'll bring, like, the iPad and bring me some silly article or some news article. We'll read that. But you're making reading something that's part of of their lives. I mean, my entire reading engagement program, the two numbers I tell people, these are important. The two numbers are 67 and 20. So they... Here's the number sixty-seven. So a lot of people will tell you it takes twenty-one days to change a habit. To those people, I say, well, show me the research on that. It's completely fabricated number. I know exactly where the number comes from. It's from a wonderful book written in 1960 by Dr. Maxwell Maltz called "Psycho Cybernetics." And in the preface of that book, if you have it on your shelf, it's a fantastic book. I love it. Well, Dr. Maltz was a plastic surgeon, and in the preface of the book, he said he noticed it took most of his patients about 21 days to get used to their new face. Well, a lot of self-help gurus, personal development uh, seers, people I actually admire, by the way, they started telling people, it takes 21 days to change a habit. It's completely based on opinion, not on research. So the University of London back in 2009 did a habit formation study and they found it took anywhere from 18 to 254 days to change a habit. And the average was 66 days. Well, I don't like the number 66, so I threw in a bonus day, 67. Uh, and it depends on the habit you're trying to change. So, in their research, they found like if you want to drink a glass of water before breakfast, you might, it might take 18 days to make that into a habit. But if you want to quit smoking, that's going to take 254 days. And here's why this is important, Marcia. Let's say you go on a diet, you follow it religiously for 21 days, but on day 22, you fall off the wagon. Well, you blame yourself. And I'm like, that's, that's bull. The research shows it takes at least three times longer than that, 66 days, at least three times longer to develop that habit. And so I think it's very important that people understand this. So my program, you know, 67 days sounds a lot to people. And I'm like, this is a a game I play with the kids. I'm like, it's not 67 days. It's just over two months. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's only two months. Yeah, it's only two months. Yeah, it's a different number. Now, the other number is 20. So researchers were looking at patterns and characteristics among successful students around the world, and they stumbled upon something that shocked them. It was the number of minutes spent reading outside of school. They looked at the low kids, the average kids, and the high kids. They found that the low kids in the 20th percentile, your F students, your bottom feeders, they average less than a minute a day reading outside of school. That didn't surprise anybody. It's probably why they're at the bottom of the class. This did surprise the researchers. The kids in the middle of the class, the C students, your average students. 70th percentile their average was 9.6 minutes a day reading outside of school and if i'm doing a live training with a bunch of parents this is usually when the first hand raises and a parent asks wait a sec are you saying if i can get my kid to read 10 minutes a day at home i can take him from an f to a c that's exactly what i'm saying there's actually a lot of research to support this but this was even more amazing the kids near the top of the class the 90th percentile a minus students some of your best students do they do they read three hours a day outside of school? No. Do they, do they read an hour a day outside of school? No. The average was just over 20 minutes a day. My entire program is showing parents how to find those 20 minutes every single day. And here's two things that people need to know. First of all, those minutes don't have to be consecutive. So you can do three minutes here five minutes here i mean i always tell parents if it takes you 10 minutes each way to drive your kid to school put in an audiobook you just covered your 20 minutes going back and forth to school and that's the second point is the research also shows being read aloud to is just as powerful as reading on your own and this supports some of my own research a lot of people don't know this over half of the fortune 500 ceos are dyslexic and people don't know this. But first of all people need to understand every reading disability is curable there you know most of them are just undiagnosed the most undiagnosed reading disability is dyslexia well dyslexics you know you were talking about one of your sons is a visual learner well some people they learn better with pictures some people learn better when they're doing it and some people learn better with their ears dyslexic students are very good with their ears and so I've read a lot of biographies of successful CEOs and they were dyslexic. And I mean, look at Richard Branson so Richard Branson's dyslexic. I mean, one of the richest men in the world, but what he's doing, he's listening to audible books all the time because he doesn't feel like he has time to read it on his own, you know? And again, the thing about listening to a book, I I guess that, you know, there's, there can be dramatization. It can be different than the book that you read on your own. But again, the research has shown, I mean, I've read government studies for the last 100 years, and all of these government studies are always like 2,000 pages long, and it's usually around page 100 where there's a simple paragraph that says, the research seems to suggest the more kids read or allowed to, the better they do on reading skills. And then they, they never tell you again because it sounds way too simple, but it's usually the simple – I mean, and think about our – older generations where they didn't have lots of different media. That was the entertainment it was just grandma sitting there on a rocking chair, reading aloud to kids and it's just kids sitting there all excited, listening to the stories. And so that's the power of being read aloud too. So again, very long answer to a short question, but uh, that's what we're trying to do is to find my entire program is every day. Parents receive a video of me giving them an idea on something they could do at home to get their kids uh, excited about reading. And you know, what works for one kid doesn't necessarily work for another. I mean, and so I always tell people, you know, if you find something that works, then use that. You don't have to use all of them. I mean, just figure out, I mean, when I was a teacher, I always had 33 students in my classroom with the little ones. And if I had 33 kids, that pretty much meant I had 33 different motivational styles. I have, it takes different things to motivate the, I mean, I I used to volunteer at a juvenile detention facility in, in uh, downtown Los Angeles. So I was working with the, all these teenage girls and uh, the, the supervisor's like, oh, you won't be able to get them to read. Well, it took me a week, Marsha. And what, the way I got them reading was uh, in the back of Us Magazine. There's this thing called the Fashion Police where it's uh, all these comedians making fun of celebrity outfits. And these girls just couldn't get enough of that. And that leads into another thing, and I I, I probably should have said this earlier, is for everybody out there listening, reading doesn't have to just be books. Reading can be magazines. Reading can be newspapers. I mean, people say that people aren't reading anymore. I'm like, I think people are reading more now. I mean, think about it. The amount of print, you're exposed to in a day is more than a person in the 19th century was exposed to in a lifetime. I mean, you got ads everywhere. I mean, just the the environmental print alone is overwhelming. So I don't buy that for a second. It's just people are are changing their reading habits. I mean, I was uh, doing a training and these parents were like, well, "What do you say Danny? Regular books or ebooks?" And I said, "Yes." And the reason was I I'm an old guy. I like physical books. I I mean, My wife, though, she loves her Kindle. And I can make arguments on why a person should read electronically. So I'll give you three reasons why ebooks are wonderful. So first of all, my wife is from Singapore. And so every summer we fly back to Singapore. And while I'm packing 20 books in my bags to read, she has a one and a half pound electronic device that has access to the entire world's library. I mean, that's pretty cool. Secondly, Uh, We both like to read in bed, and I drive my wife crazy because I have to have my lamp on while I'm reading. Well, her Kindle illuminates itself, so that's Mm -hmm. a second reason. And then third, I'm getting pretty old now. Uh, It's difficult for me to see, and a lot of these books, especially the paperbacks, the print is very small. She never has a problem with that because on the ebook you can adjust the font size. And so again, I always tell people, I'm like, well, different strokes for different folks, but where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, this is what I love. I actually love finding out, well, what are you into? I'll I'll get you reading. I I work with adults all the the time. I mean, I was there to train the guys how to speak a couple of weeks ago, and all of them were asking me reading questions. I'm like, okay, I'll get you reading. It's just like you were talking about your son. I'm like, well, you might not want to read Dostoevsky, but you might want to read the Financial Times. I mean, those are two different types of reading. Mm -hmm. And why is one better than another? You know, they're different. They're, They're just different. I mean, here I am, a PhD in reading but you give me the instructions on how to get my dvd player working and I, it's like it's in japanese and i have no idea what, what what's going on so and i can't read music i don't know how to read music i feel stupid about that it's something i'd like to do in life but i mean there's different types of reading so there you go again long answers to short questions sorry about that
0: no 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 it's great and i actually you answered a few questions i did want to ask anyways and i love that piece is um the difference between audiobooks and um like reading hard books because I do both and I do both and there are some audiobooks that I, I finish and I'm like I want that book because exactly. there's going to be things I'm going to go back and refer to and um it's just fitting it in and you know it's it's interesting you talk about that stat about 20 minutes a day with kids right where that puts them in their reading and their learning that has to be similar for adults. Like, so what would 20 minutes a day for adults do? And I mean, let's just say for how many adults, I don't have time, I don't have time, but like you watch three hours of TV at night. Sometimes it's just, I love that you said this, it doesn't have to be huge, but it's that small amount and consistently, and it makes such a huge difference.
1: Absolutely. And you, can, you don't have to, a friend of mine, actually, he's in Vancouver. He had posted something on LinkedIn the other day. He's like, what are you reading? And I'm like, oh, so I decided I I'd comment and what I pointed out to him, I'm like, I'm reading 10 books right now. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to show people is I'm like, well, here's how I'm doing it. So I have a uh, I have a little prayer, a 40 day prayer challenge, and every chapter is about five pages. And so I start my day off every day. There's five pages right there. That book will be done in 40 days. I have uh, I'm reading uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by uh, Daniel Kahneman, which is a uh, he's a Nobel Prize winning economist. And his chapters are very short too. They're about 10 pages, but it's different psychological things. Um, And so I read about 10 pages of that a day. Um, I was reading, I had just uh, finished uh, a biography on Roberto Clemente, the baseball player. And each of those chapters was about 17 to 22 pages. And so I'd read one of those every day. Um, I'm reading a a basketball book um, and uh, it drives me nuts because there aren't chapters. And so I just try and read a couple of pages a day of that one um and then i have a um a, a book of odd stories uh it's like a 100 year old book but i i'm always looking i'm a person that loves anecdotes and so i'm always trying to figure out um, uh, you know i i'm always because tr- i write the the last book i wrote um the leadership begins with motivation book i wrote uh, i wrote that for people um uh, because when i was a middle school teacher Uh, I was the only middle school teacher in my school not to have any single students tardy. And the reason was because I always started class reading a Paul Harvey story. Paul Harvey was big in America when I was growing up. Uh, He passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 325 years old. Uh, Every day he'd come on the radio 1215 and he'd say, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And he'd he'd do a five minute read aloud. And the whole time you're trying to figure out who's he talking about or what's the company or whatever. Um, And so I try to write stories like that. And so the reason I wrote this book was because Paul Harvey passed away, and a lot of his stories were like the Sears Roebuck. Well, kids today, they don't know what Sears Roebuck is. And so, uh, so like, here's a little story. Can I read a quick one, Marsha? Yes. This is a quick story. So this one this one is for modern-day kids. So I said, on the morning of January seventeenth, 1977, Gary Gilmore, in a plain T-shirt strapped into a chair with a bag over his head, awaited a firing squad of five law enforcement officers to execute him at the state prison in Draper, Utah. Convicted of murdering a gas station employee and and motel manager in in Utah the year before, Gilmore would be the first person in the United States to be executed in nearly a decade. Shortly before his execution, prison officials asked Gilmore if he had any last words. Neither he nor anyone else that day would know the impact of those words. Over 10 years later, in 1988, Dan Whedon, an advertising executive who co-founded the Whedon and Kennedy Agency in Portland, Oregon, made something of a morbid pitch to a struggling fashion company. He recalled the inmate's final words and used a slight variation for his pitch, and seemingly everyone hated his idea for the company's new slogan. Just trust me on this one, Whedon implored the company's co-founder. And the co-founder, his company, and the public have not looked back since. The co-founder's name was Phil Knight. The struggling (laughs) brand he co-founded was a shoe company called Nike. And advertising executive Dan Whedon slightly altered death row inmate Gary Gilmore's final words, let's do it, into the phrase, just do it. That's the kind of story my kids are always sitting there. You know, I wrote one the other day uh, because to celebrate Martin Luther King Day. A lot of people don't know that Martin Luther King after he had won the Nobel Peace Prize, the city of Atlanta wanted to honor him, but Atlanta Atlanta was fairly racist. And uh, they were having this huge banquet it was supposed to have 1500 tickets and nobody would buy them because a lot of the the white uh, business owners were calling around town saying, oh, we can't go to something like this. Well, the chairman of the committee was the CEO of Coca-Cola. And he said, you know what? I don't know if we need to be in a town like Atlanta to have our product. So you have to make a decision. Do you What's more important, having Coca-Cola here or having it somewhere else? And all of a sudden they sold out the event. And I love the story because it shows two great people. It shows Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, you get these once in a generation people that transform the world, but it also shows somebody else that took a stand and said, that's not right. And that's what I love. That's why I became a teacher also is, I said this last night, uh, I'm like, you know, nine out of 10 of you are going to perpetuate the nonsense. I'm here for the one out of 10 of you that's going to change things. I mean, you know, and people say, oh, I don't want to change anything. General uh, Eric Shinseki, who used to be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, has a great quote. He says, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. And the thing I always tell people is when you die, you don't want to have on your gravestone that. You kept things the same. You want your gravestone to say, I made a difference. Mm-hmm. You make it better. <laughs> okay. So that's how, again, I, 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 I'm always reading aloud. And I mean, people think that you have to stop reading to... High school students, my high school students loved it that I read to them. I mean, usually the very first book I read to my kindergartners is The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. The first book I read to my high school seniors is usually Oh, The Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. And what I want to send to send the message that great literature has no grade level. You can actually enjoy things at different ages, and especially like a book like – uh Tom Sawyer, kindergartners can't read that book on their own. That's why I love reading it aloud to them. And they always ask me for other books uh, by people that they can't read. I mean, every first grader in in the world can probably, uh, they've probably all seen the Avengers movies. Mm -hmm. They probably all understand those movies. But I bet you if you gave all those kids the script, they couldn't read a word because they're written at a very high level. The research shows it takes you until about eighth grade, for your reading skills to match your listening skills, and so what's what that means is it's really important that I need to be reading much more difficult stuff to little kids. I mean, in America, uh, the first week of March they always have Dr. Seuss Day, and it drives me do- nuts because you have all these adults going to to elementary schools reading aloud Dr. Seuss books to these little kids. I'm like, you know, in the upper right hand corner of Dr. Seuss books, it has the Cat in the Hat, and it says, "I can read this all by myself." I'm like that's meant for the kid, not for the adult. You know, kids can read Dr. Seuss. We need to read them. I mean, one of my favorite books to read aloud to, to kids is uh, A River Runs Through It by Norman McClain. It's one of the most beautifully written stories. It just, And I, I, you know, I put down Gatsby earlier, but when I was reading aloud The Great Gatsby to my daughter, I'm like, you know, I hate this story. I'm very stubborn about this. I'm like, this story drives me nuts. But man, this guy knows how to craft a sentence. This is beautiful writing. I mean, uh, just beautiful. Uh, And so that's what I want to expose. And really, this is my tip for a lot of people. I mean, I wasn't that great of a teacher. I just used a couple of great strategies. One of my favorite things to do is uh, I read poems every single day to my students, whether it's my little ones or my older ones. I read at least four poems a day. Think about that. Over the course of 180 school days, I've exposed my students to over 700 poems it takes me less than five minutes a day. And I mandate every kid has to learn at least 20 poems and memorize them. I mean, when my, it's it's a great way to differentiate instruction for kids. Cause when I was teaching kindergarten, I got, um, Jose, the, the kids would become poems every Thursday. And so Jose, my lowest reader, he'd be like, hi, I'm the sitter by Shel Silverstein. Mr. Mrs. McTwitter, the babysitter, I think she's a little bit crazy. She thinks a babysitter is supposed to sit upon the baby. And then I get uh, Laura, one of my top students. She's like, hi, I'm Mark Anthony from uh, uh, Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often to with their bones. So let be with Caesar. He was my friend, loyal and just to me. But Brutus is an honorable man. Six-year-old girl memorized 50 lines from Julius Caesar. And people ask me, How'd you do that? And I'm like, I got the idea watching kindergarten cop. If you ever watch the movie Kindergarten Cop, in that movie, Schwarzenegger gets his little ones to memorize the Gettysburg Address. And I thought to myself, huh? I wonder if that's actually possible. I'm convinced if I was a better teacher, I could teach physics to kindergartners. The great thing about the little ones, this is why I love the little ones. They don't know what they can't do yet. Right. And if you make it into a game, they can do it. And it's their enthusiasm is oh, I, I you, you get around little kids and it doesn't matter. They just get excited about anything, and I I have that type of energy too, um, you know. And I remember um, this is a cool story. I, I, I when I was in second grade, I had a teacher, and uh, one day she holds up her pencil and she's like, "Who can see this pencil? Raise your hand." And all of us raised our hands. She's like good she's like, get out of your seats come on up to the hallway so we go to the hallway and she looks at the end of the hallway she's like who can see that exit sign at the end of the hallway raise your hand all of us like and she's like good she takes us to the playground and she's like who can see that house across the street from the uh from the playground and all of us raise our hand she's like good And she's like okay who can see the water tower all the way downtown And all of us raise our hands and she's like, Good. And she's like, How far can you see? And one little girl's like, I can see half a mile. And the boy's like, I can see a mile. Another boy's like, two miles. And she's like, Good. She looks up, she's like, look up. She's like, who can see the sun? And all of us raise our hands. She's like, Good. Did you know the sun is 92.9? million miles away and nobody in this class thought they could see further than two miles you all are grossly underestimating what you can do i love i i'll never forget that it's like all of us have so much more inside of us and we're we're you know i've heard it put before don't die with your poetry inside of you you know uh there's so much more we can expect out of people and so and i have very high expectations of people i'm like no success successes are only uh, i use a phrase i'm like instead of asap let's make it alat asap is as soon as possible alat is as long as it takes just never give up you can't fail if you don't quit you know so i'm oh, sorry
0: no i love that analogy at the end i i just I think that, I mean, obviously it starts with reading, but this piece of, I just, I firmly believe that as humans, we're all grossly underestimating what we can do. And what is that quote that we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10. And it's like, sometimes we're so short-sighted of like, oh, I didn't get done what I wanted this year. I didn't do, I didn't get as far as I wanted this year. But if you look back at like, five, 10 years, it's like, oh, wow, I actually have come a long ways. And I just think that we underestimate what we are capable of. And a lot of times shut ourselves down before we even start.
1: We just shut. I think about uh, President Teddy Roosevelt, they estimate by the time he was 30 years old, he had read over 20,000 books. And so I used to look at my little ones. I'm like, so we got to start reading a lot of kid books. I mean, I read 10 books a day now. Many of them are scratch and sniff and pop up, but I do read 10 books a day. And it's actually a tip I actually gave to business people all the time. I'm like, hey, you can be a reader, stop by the library or the local bookstore, go to the children's section. One of the things I'll do is I'll read like, you know, 10 or 20 of these little 32 page picture biographies on, you know, Elon Musk and Sarah Blakely and all these people, you know, Malala or whatever. And then if I'm at a party and now I know a whole bunch of random facts about all these, Current events and famous people, and people are like, "Wow, you're a very well-read person." I'm like, "Oh yes, I, I read all these picture books." But I, again, reading can be anything; mm-hmm. it doesn't have to. Be, I mean, some of the best writing I've ever read are sports books, mm-hmm. I and mean, just beautiful writing. You know, uh, I mean, thank God for my wife because I'm reading books that are like girly kind of books. But I'm like, "Oh, I really actually like this book. It's really well written. I like the characters and stuff." And I would have never been exposed to that, you know. Uh, I, I, I now I feel like it's almost an addiction, like going through we went to a, a book fair uh recently, my family and I, and I'm I didn't want to go in and they're like, Oh no, no, you gotta come in. And each each person in my family had a because you could buy a bag for eight dollars and fill it up with as many books as possible, all these used books. And so each person in my family got one bag and I left with five bags full of books. It's just horrible. I I and I, I just want to read all the time. I think of the um, the science fiction writer, Isaac Asimov, who I believe wrote more books than any other person in history. The guy was writing like 30 books himself every single year for 50 years. And on his deathbed, they asked him if he had any regrets in life. And I loved his what he said. He said, I wish I had learned how to type faster. Hmm. <laughs> wow, that's amazing.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, my God. I love that. I love that. You have a to to tie it into what you have, and I'll make sure it's in the show notes. You have a free gift
1: here. Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So, for, for bearing with me, Marsha, you and your listeners, I wanted to give you a couple of goodies. Uh, if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody complimentary. E-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book I wrote for a school principal who was having trouble keeping his faculty and uh, staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book that demonstrates the exact same concept, you can read that in five minutes, Uh, and it's cool stories, it's kind of like that Gary Gilmore story with Nike, all kinds of uh, neat little stories, and I also have uh, little sections where I I talk about, well, here are famous people of industry that are readers, here are famous people in the military, famous people in government, famous people in in sports, uh, entertainment. Um, And then I'm also going to give everybody uh, access. Last summer, I did a a five day reading challenge online for about 700 parents where every day for five consecutive days, I give you an hour's worth of information of ways to get your kid excited about reading. It's basically the basis of my uh, online reading engagement program. Uh, Those are all just, you know, again, the more we can get kids excited about reading, the more likely they are to read. And the more they read, the better they get. And if you read with your kid, you'll you'll be in for good news. You're going to become a better reader as well. So that's my gift, uh, a free gift from Danny.com. And I just thank you uh, for this time, Marsha. Uh, you got me all pumped up. Uh, I'm going to go uh, shovel some more snow, but uh, I'm going to listen to an audio book while I'm doing it.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Honestly, I have absolutely loved this conversation. I will make sure everything is available in the show notes. And I have one more question for you. And it is, what lesson in life are you most grateful for?
1: Um, most, I'm most grateful. I think Mark Twain had that quote. He said, when he was 18, his parents didn't know anything. And when he was 21, he couldn't believe how much they had learned in just three years. I think the best lesson I've learned is uh, I really don't know that much. I, get, I I'm I'm very excited every day to learn some new things. Uh, and I don't just look at adults as my best teachers. Uh, a lot of my best teachers are five years old.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, because I, I think we can all learn so much from, you know, not just adults or people who are ahead of us, as would a lot of us can fall into that trap of like reading about people who are famous or whatever that is. But we can learn a lot from from kids as well, right? We really can.
1: They have no filter. I had a little girl once and she's like, Mr. Basel, are you sad? I'm like, no, I'm happy. And she's like, somebody forgot to tell your face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought okay. they were
0: <laughs> I love their honesty. I right.
1: love Kids them. are great from the mouths of babes.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for this conversation. I have enjoyed Thank it.
1: Thank you, Marcia. Don't let it, you send me your 24 and your 25-year-old. I'll get them pumped about reading. And I, I'm still... It's still festering the anger inside of me, the third grade experience because I had those experiences as a kid. But on the on the flip side here, I'll put a positive spin on it. I think that adversity is what teaches us our best lessons, and so uh, good for him to overcome it and to be a stud and uh, probably earning twice as much or three times as much as that cruelty. Yeah. I, <laughs> I guarantee you.
0: I guarantee you. And I, I, I thank you for saying that, and I want to share that for anybody who's listening, like you know, be their advocate, speak for them. And um, I, I was very much a present person in the school and not as the one in their complaining nonstop, but I certainly was their advocate. And I just thought, you know, nobody learns by being shamed. Nobody learns. I don't care what, I don't. it doesn't matter to me what you're learning. Nobody learns that way. And that was, like I said, long before I even understood shame and shame research. So it's, you know, be their advocate because reading can be fun and it's definitely is something that... I I adopt on a regular basis in my life in my whether it's like even even now it's at night going to bed I'm really practicing like fiction books I just need to turn the head off and read something else but it is it's really changed the game for me and is great for headspace so I can't encourage it enough I honestly thank you for sharing everything you did today because there's so much value here when it comes to finding ways to read in your day-to-day life in whatever way serves you, in whatever way serves you, yeah.
1: Thanks, Marsha, and thanks for being part of the solution, not part of the problem. Anybody can gripe, you actually did something about it.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful until next time. Remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.